Our passage from God's word today is from Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look! The hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. 
But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. They're strong words from the disciples, aren't they? Jesus tells them this very night you will all fall away, and Peter says, even if they all do, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I wonder how the disciples will go. Well, their first step is not hard, is it? What does Jesus tell them to do? Verse 36, sit. Verse 37, stay. Keep awake with me. Not hard to do, especially when your master is overcome, when your friend is filled with sorrow and says to you, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You'd think you'd be able to sit, stay and keep awake, wouldn't you? But the first time, the second time, the third time, Jesus returns and finds them sleeping. Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Their spirit is willing. Strong words. They want to be faithful to Jesus. But the body is weak. Here is their unfaithful weakness. Perhaps with the guilt of having fallen asleep, wanting to prove himself and make up for it, when the betrayer comes with a crowd to arrest Jesus, Peter turns his strong words into strong action, doesn't he? With a rush of blood, he reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. The spirit was willing. The body was willing, but Peter's brain was not engaged. And Jesus rebukes him and rebukes the crowd. And then Jesus' words are fulfilled. Verse 56, all the disciples deserted him and fled. The disciples' unfaithful weakness. And I think we recognise ourselves, don't we? Strong words, we sing songs about following Jesus to the end, and we look down on the disciples as if we would never do that, but so often our spirit is willing, but our body is weak. We don't make time for church or to pray. We get distracted when we do try and pray. We get tired, tired of serving we give up. The spirit is willing, but sometimes the body is weak. And sometimes our spirit is weak too. We give in to temptation. We don't even avoid temptation. And when it's even a little bit awkward to own up to knowing Jesus, we keep quiet. Under the same stress, given the same circumstances, we would do exactly the same as the disciples unfaithful weakness. What should we do? 
Jesus doesn't tell them to join a gym so their body is not weak. No, he reminds them of the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember? Pray that you will not fall into temptation. It's not just a prayer that you rattle off at church. It's not just a prayer that you rattle off when you do your prayers. Each part of it, each line, we need to pray. Pray when we need the Lord's help. But there's one disciple who is not just showing unfaithful weakness. No, for him it's faithless betrayal. Judas, verse 47, he's one of the twelve chosen by Jesus, trusted by Jesus. He preached Jesus. He healed in the name of Jesus. And yet he went to Jesus' enemies and he offered to betray him for just 30 pieces of silver. And then he looked for an opportunity to hand him over. And it wasn't that hard, to be honest. Jesus was very predictable. He went often to the garden to pray. And so Judas left his master and his friends at the meal. He went to Jesus' enemies and picked up the crowd with their sword and their clubs, and he leads them to Jesus. And then the camera slows down, doesn't it? And we see his faithless betrayal. Verse 48. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. I wonder how Judas said, greetings, Rabbi. Was it with a sly smile, you know, uh, I've won, even though you knew I was betraying you? Is it with sadness or with regret? The worst bit is the sign, isn't it? It's dark, and so he needs to give a sign to make sure they get the right man. The one I kiss is the man. Do you know the word for kiss here is actually just the word for love. The one I love is the man. Arrest him. It's not just that a kiss is un-Australian at this point. It's not just that he's not following the rules of social distancing. This is not what a kiss is for. Unfaithful betrayal. It really hurts to be let down by a friend, doesn't it? Someone you thought you could depend on, someone who doesn't call you when they don't see you for a while, someone who's tired of listening to you when you're upset or, or drops you when something better comes along. It really hurts when someone lets you down like the disciples did. But being betrayed, someone who shared your bed but now shares the bed of another, Someone who shared your family but turns against you. Someone who shares your workplace and tells lies to get ahead of you. Being let down hurts, but being betrayed. Man, does that hurt. Jesus experienced both. He knows the pain of it and he understands. And
and he himself is faithful. He will not let us down. He will not betray us. Well, it's no wonder, is it, that Jesus is in a bad way at this point. Anyone would be. Verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. But it's not just that he's being let down by his friends. It's not just that he's being betrayed by a friend. No, he prays about a cup. A cup that is before him. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. It's obvious, isn't it, what the cup is. It's his death. And we've seen movies, many of us, where there's a cup, a poisoned cup, and someone is murdered. But it's not the movies that Jesus has in mind. It's the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the cup is a symbol of God's wrath. Just as the Egyptians were to drink the cup of God's wrath when the angel of death passed through the land. So in Jeremiah 25, God says that the nations must drink the cup of his wrath. The cup filled with the wine of his wrath. His steady, determined, righteous anger against sin. And so just as the lamb died instead of the firstborn in the Passover, so Jesus is going to drink the cup of God's wrath instead of us. And Jesus sees the horror of it. The horror of the wrath of his father, the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The cup of God's wrath has been placed into his hand and he falls with his face to the ground with a desperate plea to his father. My father, may this cup be taken from me. For Jesus does not want to drink it. Many of us have heard this before. Many of us have heard that Jesus died instead of us. We understand it. We can explain it. We can use big words like substitutionary atonement and it's a divine transfer. But this is not abstract. It's not an idea. And Jesus doesn't feel okay about it because he's the son of God. He doesn't feel okay about it because he knows it'll be temporary and that he's going to rise from the dead. No, Jesus sees it clearly. And he is horrified by it. You should never say to someone who's really suffering, I know what you're going through, should you? I know what you're feeling. And we should never say, we should never begin to think that we knew what this was like for Jesus. Jesus does not want to drink the cup. So he says to his father, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. But that's not the whole prayer, is it? 
Verse 39, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me yet, not as I will, but as you will. There's a bigger prayer, a prayer that overrides the prayer about the cup. I don't want to drink it, says Jesus, yet not what I will, but as you will. The second time he prays, it's even stronger. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken from me, may your will be done. He does not want to drink the cup, but there's something that he wants more. He wants to do the will of his father. Jesus is not a helpless victim. He's not an enslaved child with no choice. He does not want to drink it, but he freely chooses to. More than anything, he wants to submit to his father. That's been the story all the way along. He's got so many opportunities to save himself. A few years ago, I saw this garden where Jesus was praying. It's a garden that's enclosed now. You can't get into it. It's fenced around because there are so many tourists. But 2,000 years ago, there was no fence. There were no defences. It was out in the open. It's completely undefendable. And Jesus could have left at any time. But when he knows his betrayer is coming, he just stays there. He stays until the hour has come. And then when the hour has come, he says, Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. But not let us go, let's get out of here. But let us go. The hour has come. He doesn't want to drink the cup. But he chooses to submit to his father. The disciples want to get sleep and to save their skin. Judas wants to get 30 pieces of silver. Jesus doesn't want to drink the cup but he faithfully submits to his Father. That's extraordinary, isn't it? How do you respond to that? You praise Jesus. You thank Jesus. And just as the disciples show us our, our unfaithfulness, we need to see Jesus' faithfulness and what it means to be faithful. There's an old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. But it's not that when you submit to God, you'll be happy all the time. Jesus here is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And in his anguish, he prays. My father, take the cup away from me. He asks to be delivered, but he is not demanding. He says, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, he prays the Lord's Prayer. He prays himself the prayer that he taught his disciples and that he wants us to pray. Your will be done. What does faithfulness look like when you're in dire straits, when you're anxious about this virus, even when you're overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of 
death. It is to feel that sorrow and to ask, even to beg to be delivered, but to ask for something more. Father, your will be done. We need to see the disciples' unfaithful weakness. We need to see Judas's faithless betrayal, and we need to see Jesus's faithful submission. But there's one more character we need to see. One more character we need to see and to hear in this event. It's Jesus's father. Now, he doesn't appear in this story. He doesn't have any lines, but that's not unusual for him, is it? But there are some times when silence really matters, when silence speaks louder than words. In this crisis at the moment, uh, with the virus and, and our political leaders are scrambling to make good decisions, and, and some of us are critical of the decisions that they're making, critical of the president or the prime minister or even our archbishop. Back in the 1980s, there was a new mysterious disease amongst gay men. It was killing thousands of young men. And the president at the time, President Reagan, didn't talk about it. He didn't say the word AIDS for five years. He didn't actually make a speech about the topic for nearly seven years. What does that silence say? Did he not know? Did he not care? There are times when silence speaks loudly. And at this time, in this part of God's word, in the night before he died, Jesus called out, my father. He'd been deserted by his friends, betrayed by his friends. He was filled with sorrow to the point of death. And he fell to the ground and he cried out, My father. Surely, surely his father will say something. Even if he doesn't normally speak out loud, at this point he will speak. What does his silence mean? Does he not know? Does he not care? Or is it something else? Jesus said, My Father, if it is possible. Well, all things are possible for God. But it's clear here, isn't it? That to take the cup away is not possible. There is no other way for God's plan to happen to glorify his son, to open up his kingdom, to save his people from his own wrath. There's no other way. It's not possible unless Jesus drinks the cup. Many people think there are many ways to God. Many people think if we just try harder, if we learn to be faithful to God, or that God will simply forgive people, without someone having to be punished. But here the father's silence. His own son 
cried out, If it is possible, take this cup away. And he said, No. As we face this virus, there are all sorts of solutions that are being proposed, aren't there? Imagine there was just one solution. There was just one cure and no other way. Wouldn't you take it? Wouldn't you share it with other people? There is no other way. You can tell by the father's silence. And with so much anxiety, so much wondering who's in control and is God still in control? And if this is all happening, does God, does he still love us? Then we need to hear the father's silence when his own son cried out to save him. His father was silent. His betrayer arrived. And his son died. Because there was no other way. And because he loves us that much. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary passage. Father, we thank you that Jesus understands understands what it's like to be let down and understands what it's like to be betrayed. Help us to come to him when we feel like that. Our Father, we thank you that you know that we are weak and we pray that we would turn to you in prayer, that you might deliver us from temptation. We pray that we might learn from the example of Jesus what it means to be faithful when life is really difficult. And Father, help us to hear Jesus' Father's silence, to see that there was no other way, and to be so confident, so comforted of your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.